the f*** is that guy? Yes, my dad's Bruce Lee finally sits down with the real star of the show, the man who makes it all happen. He plugs microphones in back to front, but occasionally and eventually he gets it right. We're joined live in studios by the owner of the studio, by the owner of Fiction Studios, fictionstudios.com, Mr. Nathan J. Cooper. Oh, gonna clap myself then. Yeah, you did. You almost got yourself a point from the very off, starting <laughs> off with a clap. What does the J stand for? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> there is no J. He just made that up. I like to put J's in people's names. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Nathan J. Cooper. Stephen Sounds J. like a proper Barry. name, doesn't it? Nathan J. Cooper. It does, yeah. Sounds like a That's movie good. star name. I prefer that to Nathan M. Uh, Cooper. This is kind of our podcast. If you could just... <laughs> What's the M stand for? Maxwell. Is that your actual name? Nathan Max Max Power, Max Cooper. Nathan Maxwell Cooper. Ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by Nathan Maxwell Cooper, owner of Fiction Studios, musician, entrepreneur, current leader on the points table with a baker's dozen, I believe. No, loads more than that. 14, 15? Let's call it 15 for cash. Let's call it 15. Why not? What am I on? 12? No, 13. 13. And Um, you're on? Did you give me a... Yeah, Yeah, I did. You did. So 13 13 all. Yeah, Nathan's on 15. Outrage. This you, is nice, actually, because we've been accumulating points since the very beginning, whereas everyone else, the old Johnny-come-latelys, the actual guests, if you want to call them that, uh, they go on a show-by-show basis. But here we are, the founders. The big three, the three musketeers. The power trio. The centre, the core of the podcast. Nathan M. Cooper, not Jane. We're sat here in your beautiful studios. Why don't you give us a brief history of who the man, the enigma the myth, the legend, the Lothario, the adult <laughs> film star, Nathan Cooper is. Well, I started out as being a musician before this. Okay. And this before was... you gave it all up, backed it in <laughs> to, to record other people. But I enjoy recording other people. Okay. Yeah. Tell us about the music side. Sort of in a band as a teenager. Then I was doing like boy bands and stuff in the 90s. I could see with that. Everyone else. I could see boy bands in the 90s, yeah. Uh, I auditioned for a few boy bands as well. Any famous ones? Five. Okay, and you didn't no make it. Way. You didn't make the cut for five. Got down to the last five. Did you really? Surely you would have been in if you got to the last five. <laughs> Who took your? No, place? I got down to the last five of Jay. I was auditioning for Jay's part. Okay. okay, hang on. Are you trying to tell me that Jay isn't his real name, and they were looking for a Jay? <laughs> Is that what the Jay in no, Nathan looking, Jay Cooper stands for? They were looking for a hard man because they had the cute <laughs> guy. <laughs> That's why, that's why I didn't get it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Proper London bloke, is it? Yeah, they wanted, like, the London guy, like, with the goatee, the kind of, yo, and I wasn't that at all. No right. way. I was the cute one. <laughs> so what was your what was your passage into that then? I feel as though we've yeah, just how do gone you How do you become the 10th member of five? <laughs> yeah, okay. If the band had been called 10, you'd have been in. I was very, very ambitious. You were a bit of a, a soft man, though. That was the problem. You weren't hard enough. Oh, well, that's why I didn't get into five. But yeah. the way I got into auditioning for boy bands was I just wanted any way in. Right. I was kind of at that age where I didn't really care okay, this what I was CD. doing. So yeah. was, was fame the ambition? Fame was absolutely the ambition. And however I got there, whatever means. And I quite liked the Backstreet Boys. 
I thought they were okay. I quite like Boyzone. I'd done a stint in a tribute act called Boys with two Zs, which was a mix Sounds of... Sounds amazing. We, we went around performing. Boys to men? No, actually, we should have done. We did E7, it was E17, stay Boyzone, now, now. Um, and Backstreet Boys, and Take That. Okay. And uh, we went around doing that. So I was kind of interested in the very pop side of things, and I so decided to give it a go as a boy band with a group of friends who were actually all dancers. So, so I've got a bit of carrot stuck in my throat. Hold on. <coughs> a bit of carrot. <laughs> and Nathan's on a diet, ladies and gentlemen, for anyone who doesn't know. And he's on level two of his ab app as well. So <laughs> Tell you know what, what I mean? It's working. He's though, looking like an Adonis over here. Yeah, it's just wanting like to get back in a boy band. That's yeah, you know, that's it. One last shot. I hear yeah. take that or recruiting. <laughs> Sounds like you're going to give a stick there, but you look you're looking really good, mate. Yeah, oh, you got a glow. You've got that healthy boy band, just in a load of cocaine. <laughs> Tell me this, Nathan. If if take that rang and said we've got a spot for you, we want you to be the I don't know how many members they have now. Three, four, fourth member of Take That. Would you do it? Do they still do the routines? Yeah. <laughs> do they? I don't know. I have no, no idea. idea. If they did the them. routines, absolutely not. Okay, but if it was just Actually, stand and I, sing and, and flow your hands through your hair, you've got good hair. Mm. I've got good hair. I don't think I'm a good <laughs> enough singer. <laughs> that's that's a point. I don't that's think I'm a good enough singer. <laughs> That Having good hair is hardly something to boast about. Well, you just did. You just did <laughs> boast about it. That's the thing. We can say it. It was you in the same say breath as saying I can't sing. No. I oh, said so you I might have yourself. good hair, but I can't sing. No, you're on 16 points. <laughs> Congratulations. Wow. Way out in front. The first to reach 16 points. Oh, what was your role in the boy bands then? I you did a, a heartthrob. So... Uh, I can't say anything for fear of getting no, points. No, do you know what, mate? I'm judge, jury, well, and there was a guy. Me. I'll we go had a, easy on you. We had a guy who had like the six pack. He modelled himself on Peter Andre. So he was kind of like, he used to oil his abs up before we did a gig. Oh, Actually, I guess I was just the one who wrote the songs. So probably the... You were the poet. Tony kind of soft kind of it, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, like the, that. I'll the go like, with that. Yeah, the weird emo so girls. Actually, the not fanciable him. one at all. <laughs> we used to go around doing these awful shows at like so we do two shows a day and the first would be a lunchtime in a in a girl's school in a lunch break sounds dodgy and then we (laughs) and then we'd go to like Wigan and do some like under 18s club in the evening wow and you'd go from being perhaps like girls screaming at you even though they didn't know who you were and you were no one and then going to being like spat on from a balcony (laughs) Like this bloke, these eight, sixteen year old. Sounds like the album title, doesn't <laughs> yeah. it? That's a real showbiz grounding, though, isn't it? Yeah, mate? yeah. You get good balance. So I did that for a bit. What age are we talking here? So this would have been sort of late nineties. So the whole boy band thing. Was no, you. What age were you? Oh, oh Doug, come 24. on. Twenty four. Okay. Twenty three. Yeah. Twenty four. Yeah. And Adonis. So old enough to know better then. Yeah, definitely old enough to know better. What was the hair like? I had these things called twiglets. I think one of the members of Boyzone had them. The Irish. Uh, I know the Irish, Irish one in Boyzone. <laughs> oh, that's a point. Who's the one with all, the, totally the, one with all the taps? Oh, I have no now, idea. Now, in the video Boyzone. for Love Me, in the video for Love Me for a reason. I know what you mean, but I don't know what his name he's is. He's got these uh, twiglets. Twiglets. Are you saying cornrows? White man no, cornrows? No, they're like you twist your hair into these like spikes, but they're kind of bent. That sounds wow. horrendous. Yeah, a whole, sounds like a, a whole t- exactly, a whole tub of d- this stuff called Dax. Wax, oh, mate, oh, which I is Dax. lethal. Dax is the dream. 
you got to get fairy liquid on yes. your hair to get it out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, surely Dax uses Yeah, come on. Sure. I remember I went to a Lido in Charlton on a really hot day. I got blisters on my scalp because the the sun rays <laughs> went through the Dax. <laughs> and what, I had, the like grease? blisters. Yeah, it like boiled my scalp. I, I can't explain. It's bad. It boiled my scalp. <laughs> all to be in a boy band. I was in the last ten and five. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was a fraction away from being brilliant. <laughs> hey, steady on. So you were doing the boy band thing. And then I sort of decided that that wasn't going to happen. We kind of did these tours and stuff like that and didn't happen. Didn't go where it needed to go. No. And I felt at that stage, at the beginning of the millennium, there was a bit of a resurgence in the music that I really liked was kind of starting to seep in a bit more. And which what's was the a, music that you really Electronic liked? music, okay. 80s influenced synth music. Right. There was a bit of a scene called the... No electric- natural sounds. No. I hated the 90s. I hated grunge. I hated anything with guitars. Right. Britpop, I hated. Just sat at home masturbating to Transformers. Well, I was depressed <laughs> and so... <laughs> just sat, and so when... <laughs> was that a... That was a Transformer. That was a Transformer masturbating. That was Megatron masturbating. That was it, That yeah. was a good, good There's impression. the title of the podcast. <laughs> Is that Megatron masturbating? <laughs> so, Write that down, Dave. That's why I kind of got on board with the boy band thing because that was very anti-grunge and anti, you know. Okay. But then synth started coming back in towards the beginning of the millennium and there was a band called Ladytron and there was a, a kind of a scene called Electro... Tron sounds like a Electro, <laughs> Electro Clash. There was a scene called Electro Clash which was kind of bubbling under. Yeah. And I thought, well, this is great. I can actually start doing the music I really want to do, which was that 80s influence kind of thing. Like, yeah. Favourite 80s band, go. Duran Duran. Amazing. Knew that answer was coming. Do you know what's brilliant? Favourite 80s song? Ooh. Hunger Like the Wolf. Oh, tune. Bang tune. Favourite instrument? Look around the studio, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a visual podcast it's a, yet. It's Nathan. a book. Uh, His favourite <laughs> instrument is the book. Kitar. Yeah, I've got a couple of kitars, but it's a synth, isn't it? There's, For there's anyone who doesn't know what Nathan looks like, if you watch The Minions, oh, Minions. what's the second? Despicable Me 2... There's a bad guy in it who is an 80s child pop star. (laughs) Looks identical to Nathan. The funny thing is, when you told me about that, you told me about that, I thought, well, I don't actually look like that. But I've morphed since you told me that. Yeah. I've become that that character. He's he's pretty lean as well. He's undone. And yeah, that's his type of music. So anyone who wants to know what Nathan looks like, Look up Despicable Me 2 villain, purple jumpsuit. That's Nathan. I just want to pick up on something that, that Nathan said a couple of minutes ago when he was like, I hated Britpop, hated like grunge and Nirvana. And the fact that like that grunge music was like the protest against the man and he protested that by being in boy bands. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely amazing. I love it. I love that he's unashamed but it, about but it. But it, also, it was also a protest against the 80s. You've got to remember that. So... The 80s was an era of kind of everything was overproduced and lush and it was all about synths. And Nirvana and grunge was a real reaction against that. It was everything that that wasn't. So it's my decade that I love, that I grew up with and everything I aspired to be suddenly was cast aside and, you know, forgotten about. And I'd turn up, you know, at venues and stuff with banks of synthesizers and get literally laughed at. This is in 19... 192, 93, a height of grunge. If you're in the purple yeah. jumpsuit, I can. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, with the headband. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, what is this guy? Like, this is a joke. You know, now it's it's fine to play synths and to riff on the 80s and stuff. But then it was like, it was an absolute no-no. 
thought you'd stick it to the man sticking it to the man (laughs) by reliving the 80s yeah exactly so i got into a 80s movie ah that's hard because this is controversial but i actually prefer 70s and 90s movies that's not the question back to the future there we go done there's only one answer (laughs) correct well done you got that answer correct Get us back on track, Dave. Your boy banding didn't work out. Yeah. So now you're saying, oh, sweet, there's a music revolution I can get on board with yeah. again. I felt like something was going to happen, which was a bit of a kind of resurgence in electro pop and stuff. So I got together a band called The Modern with an old friend of mine. Actually, he was the one in the boy band who thought he was Peter Andre. Okay. <laughs> he could actually sing as well. So we got together. Which uh, is not necessarily a characteristic needed for most boy bands. It was the kind of implied thing there. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you can be in a boy band. You don't need to sing or <laughs> Can you oil your abs? You're in. He was good at oiling abs. And, yeah, and that culminated in us getting a deal, actually, which was kind of what we'd worked towards since we'd been doing the boy band stuff, and that was great. So when you signed the deal, did you think, oh, we've made it awesome? Absolutely. And funnily enough, since I've been working in this studio, it's not an original story. I hear this from so many people that have come in here, but it's the story which is you get to that stage where you think, okay, this is what I've worked for the last 10 years towards. This is, we've made it. You know, we, you're in the, the in the office, they yeah. crack open the champagne. This is, we were with Universal, you know, it's a big label. Massive. We thought, this is it. Yeah, they own the universe. Yeah. Did you actually uh, put pen to paper? Yeah, we sign signed your it. name on a contract? Yeah, we signed to Mercury in 2005 and they put us out on tour straight away with like, they put us on the Enemy tour and then we did I Beat the Rocks thing with the Kaiser Chiefs and stuff. And so, it was it was a cool, you know, time. So the building blocks were in place then. Yeah. You'd you'd made a name for yourselves, you'd signed a deal, you had the on, abs. You'd had gone the on abs. you'd gone on tour, you were being associated with things that are usually associated with success on tour with big names in yeah. big venues. Yeah. So everything was moving in the right direction. Yeah. What actually happened? <laughs> well, we had a manager, a guy called Tom Watkins, who'd managed E Some Team, funny enough. Mm-hmm and Bross and Pet Shop Boys and stuff in the past. And he was kind of larger than life, one of those old school sort of Svengali kind of old band managers, you know, medallions, big fur, Amazing. Mr. fur T, line yeah. collar, you know, cigar, the, the whole guy, lot. What's the guy who used to wear the clock? <laughs> Flavor Flav. Flavor Flav, yeah. yeah. Flavor Flav is who I'm picturing. Go on. Sven and Gali, he kind of sensed word. that something was going to happen, actually, because the first single, it, it got like 33 or something, which wasn't, as high as we'd wanted mm-hmm. and he had sent some kind of rumblings in the record company and lo and behold everyone that had signed us there was a massive shake-up loads of people were sacked loads of new people bought in the people that had championed us i mean it's an age-old story the people that had championed us were no longer around suddenly the money for the second single was being put towards their next act who they loved you know who the darlings of the, the label suddenly and we were kind of felt like we were put on the shelf and so tom said to us well, guys, the only thing we can do is make this go into the charts and you're going to have to buy your own single. No way. So he gave us all credit cards, every member of the band, and there were there were five of us by that time because we'd hired a guitarist and a drummer. And he gave us a list of all the, it was um, either the Virgin Megastores, I think it was then, in, yeah. in London. And he said, just go into each one, buy 100 copies in each Jesus one. Christ. So I was in a, you know, jumping on buses, going to different, I'd be in, Hampstead or whatever, going to Virgin buy 100 copies of my CD single. Then where I'm at uh, Putney next, Buster Putney, <laughs> going there, 100 copies. It's not great. This is going to be great. Got a call for the midweeks. Yeah. 
saying, ah, oh, brilliant, guys, you're going to go in number 13. Don't know you've done it. Good work. And we're all, like, celebrating. Then got a call on the Friday. Uh, no. Oh, uh, no. You've been disqualified due to irregular buying patterns. And they actually called you to tell you that? Well, then I got a call from a, f- a friend of mine who worked, who was a, a journalist at the Metro, you know, the free London yeah, paper, yeah. and said, oh, this story's come through on on writers or whatever it is that they get their stories from and said it paints you in a really bad light mate but I'm going to try and as a friend try and do it from a bit more of a sensitive angle for you and that was fine and he did but it was in like the sun and the times and stuff like that and it was chart cheats and in some ways it was great publicity publicity yeah but it still meant that we were dropped the next day oh mm. no oh, was it and it was as yeah singles disqualified we were dropped and that was it and suddenly you find yourself this thing that you've worked up for so so hard you know and suddenly you literally go from having everything to having nothing you know and if there are any kind of cracks within the dynamic of the group which there was anyway they're just so, forced open then in exactly that yeah they become seismic plates that are kind of ripped That's apart. an amazing story. <laughs> oh, my God. So when you got dropped, was that the end of the group? I think we probably tried to plod on for, like, six months or something. And then I thought, well, actually, this is never going to work again because we'd all We said, don't have the credit cards anymore. We don't have the credit card. <laughs> Oh, what happened to the credit card debt? Yeah. <laughs> he must have paid that. That must have gone to Tom Watkins because no that was all his... Credit Big cards. up, Tom. Good yeah, man, Tom. Well done, yeah, the one. Yeah, well the one. And you said, uh, you know, the the record company, all the faces changed at the top, and mm. they had the new darlings that all of your attention was going yeah, to. Yeah, there was someone called Little Boots. I don't know if you remember her, oh. and the band called The Bravery, who kind of were, came and went. But they were signed. They they were one of. I the know bands, Little so. Mix. Is there anything related? Kinky Boots. It's good musical in town. <laughs> yeah, it's about Little yeah. Boots. <laughs> d- no more poison. That's in it. My emotions. Yeah, yeah, well done. They put her above you. Remedy, <laughs> remedy. Oh wow. She was the one. That was the darling. And The Bravery had don't look. Look at me the way. Which probably annoyed you because that's quite mistake. And they were very 80s. 80s. Yeah. And they stole their bass player stole our thing, which was putting a a line of lipstick on your cheek. Unbelievable. That's unbelievable. You've let that go without a point. (laughs) Do you know? (laughs) (laughs) Claiming he invented stage makeup, is he? (laughs) (laughs) The bravery must have really sort of stuck in the throat. Little boots, not so much. Slightly different demographic. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That was, I remember seeing the video in the kind of foyer of Universal on the screens behind the the desk, you know, where we're like, what is this? And she's like, the girl at the reception was like, oh, they're on latest signing. Aren't they brilliant? They're brave. And we were like, what the? (laughs) <laughs> just smashing you should have smashed the TV there just and then thrown you might have got your deal through. back you know the kind of cool edgy yeah. vibe well it yeah. was kind of Libertine's time you know mm. true we had a gimp as well which really set us <laughs> above above other bands what did you just say we had a gimp you had a gimp why are you so shocked <laughs> this was what, you what, need what, to tell actually, us more about this actually this is the, I, I, I skimmed over this this is what got us signed we actually. had a gimp so we were playing this venue called Filthy McNasty's which was where the Libertines yeah. had been seen when they were signed. And it's it's a tiny little pub, shit little place in Islington or something. And we booked in to play because we thought there was still kind of record company folk, kind of A&R guys hanging around there because that is, was where the band of the moment, the Libertines, had been signed and seen and stuff. We'd seen that this was the place to perform and we booked this gig there and we thought we want something that's going to really 
stand out. And so we, we set up on stage and we had a trunk, like this big wooden trunk in the middle of the stage. And yeah, halfway through the show, our singer <laughs> would open the trunk, pick up a, a dog lead, and, a, and out of the trunk would come uh, Remy. Remy Martin, that was his real name. Jesus okay. Christ. Who was dressed head to toe in a you know, full gimp mask. And he would go out into the audience on this on this leash. And uh, yeah, it, it was a Looking good talking point. I always wondered why Fiction Studios was <laughs> yeah. in a basement, but now we know. <laughs> yeah. That's How on earth did yeah. that come about? And what did Remy do day to day? Was it a full time operation? He, he was, was the professional. Game? He was the snowman in in the stage play of the snowman. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what a life! What a CV! Yeah. Well, there's our next guest on my dad's Bruce Lee. Actually, he would be great. I'll get him down. Does he? Is he allowed to speak in the gimp mask? Or <laughs> hang on. Does the snowman speak? Remy. Well, the awful thing was he'd have to get into the box. Quite a long time. He had to sit in there for half the performance <laughs> because we didn't want to ruin it and get him out during the first song. Of course. Obviously, so he'd naturally. be sitting in there for half an hour what sometimes. What song would he come minutes. out during? He'd come out during Model 426, which was... Model 426. That's yeah. a point. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> That's not, how is that a point? <laughs> what? Model 426? Yeah, it's kind of pretentious. It's, it's a good name. It's a good name for a song. Yeah. It was name, a song. A, name a better name for a song. You it can. was a song about a sex doll. There you go. A song. God, mm. it wasn't a very family-friendly act. No, was it? absolutely not, not at all. We've gone. For, I've gone from being in a boy band playing under 18s and girls' school lunchtimes to p- being in a band with a gimp. And I'm hoping songs the about two sex of those dolls. are not related, and that there is not a reason that you're in a basement hiding from the police. I'm really hoping there wasn't an incident with a sex doll in the school in Wigan. And I'm just you saying. now have to be dressed. One of the guys is now dressed in a gimp suit because he can't show his face. To I'm just people. saying, I've never seen Nathan above ground level. I've never seen it. I've also never seen Nathan and Remy Martin in the same room. Yeah. I'm just saying. So, all right. Okay. Let's uh, let's move on from this mm. then. That was done. That was almost what you wanted from the beginning. That fame, that public recognition. It was in touching distance. Yeah. And then it disappeared quite yeah. unceremoniously by the sounds yeah. of things. Like like a young man thrown into a trunk <laughs> with the door slammed, slammed shut. shut. Yes. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. What happened then? That was where the turning point for me from realising that actually maybe it wasn't the fame side of things that I wanted. Because I look back at what I really enjoyed from the experience of being signed and being in a band properly and actually figured that what I liked all along was the writing part of things and the creative process and the recording. And I kind of thought, I'm just not that interested in just putting it all out there just for the sake of, you know, the fame side of things. And I think that's where I just decided I wanted to do my own music under my own steam, be my own boss, do it exactly how I wanted to do it. You know, I've read that from being a a young person, a sort of, uh, not in a similar boat, but maybe looking at famous people and thinking, oh, what what a great life that must be. And then you read articles about people in a similar situation and you think oh you know obviously that's not what they really want but then when you hear someone like Nathan say that then it really rings true you kind of have yeah. that I mean my brother off. has it to a certain extent but that isn't what he enjoys you know that isn't what he gets a kick from and it's the same for me you know I just kind of realized really quickly that I just wanted to kind of write my own stuff 
and be my own boss. And I actually, I've so much more enjoyed since I've been doing the Kid Casio thing than the whole experience of being in this signed band, which was actually really a, a low point for me. It was a, a, a really traumatic kind of experience, the whole thing. <laughs> I'm glad you can laugh about it. Yeah, no, it was, it, you know, because every kind of um, decision was so weighted and especially when you're with three or five other people and every decision has got to be... Yeah, how much can we spend on leather for the game? Yeah. <laughs> how much budget is left? I went into the record company and they wanted to do this wardrobe thing. So they, they got us someone to do wardrobe. And I said, I want a suit made up, made of leather, red leather. A mm-hmm. tight-fitting What, suit. A, like a traditional suit like with a jacket and leather, yellow leather? Have you ever seen the um, Eddie Murphy? Yeah, um, Raw. Raw! Oh, my yeah. God. I showed them Raw. I, I said, this is what I want. And, and I, I was laughed. see you in it. I yeah. laughed out of the building. <laughs> Literally laughed I out mean, of the I'm building. I mean, I'm not surprised. <laughs> before we touch on that and before we move on to Kid Casio, you talked briefly there about your creative process. Do you want to talk us through that now? Or is it something that's changed throughout the years? Or... You know, when you're saying you want to write and create, yeah, how does that happen? Because I'm always fascinated by that. We talked to a young social media star and dick pick entrepreneur, Caroline Kay, <laughs> about her creative process. Yeah. And she was very enlightening and it was quite interesting to hear. So talk to us about Nathan Cooper's creative process okay. and has it changed throughout the years? I think there's probably a couple of ways I do things and they've kind of stayed constant from when I was very young, which is the first one, just sit down at a piano because I can't play guitar. So I sit down at a piano and I tell this to everyone who comes in the studio as well. You know, musicians Fiction and songwriters. Studios, online, <laughs> fictionstudios.com. Which is, if you can, if you can um, sit down and write something and it sounds good just playing it on the piano and singing, then whatever production you add to it, whatever kind of pizzazz you sprinkle on it, it can only make it better. So if, if you've got that core bass, then that's the best way of writing. Sometimes the other way I'll do things, I'll start with like a loop or I'll hear a song might come up on my iPod that day or I'll hear something on the radio and I'll go, oh, well, I want to do something in the, kind of in that style. Or the other thing is you might just be walking along and something will just come to you, literally like, who, which guest was it we were talking to? And they said, it's like you're, a, and I thought it was a brilliant analogy, you're like almost like a receiver. Probably Embaz, head yeah. of Blackboard Records. Yeah, it was. Mary Barry. It was, mm. it was, it was, it was your mum. And she was saying, like, these ideas are floating around and just sometimes you're more receptive to it. Some days you can just pick up on something. And I think that's, you know, sometimes it's in the zeitgeist as well and a few people can come up with a similar idea at the same time because there's just something in the air, you know. And I think that, yeah, that can sometimes happen. You just come up with a phrase and and the music will kind of automatically fix itself to that phrase. You know, you'll kind of hear that phrase sung in a certain melody, you know. And that'll be your top line that you start with. Do you ever experience that? I've heard someone describe it brilliantly, an artist called Rubber from from the, uh, he's actually called Blind Boy Boat Club from the Rubber Bandits. Yeah. But he describes this process or the creative process as getting into a state of flow. Yeah. Where everything is just happening. It's just natural. It's just popping out of you. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about there? And sometimes that can be a really quick thing and you've got to really make the most of it. It might last like a couple of hours. Is it something you can bring about? No. Or is it something you just have to hope happens? I think anyone would say if they Mm. can just find it and bring it about, they'd be like... But I would imagine there's certain scenarios and things that you can set up to encourage it. Yeah, definitely. For example, this studio, 
I always find it a wonderfully creative sort of inspirational place because yeah. it's not just a microphone booth and a desk. Yeah. We're surrounded by books, we're surrounded by cheap red couches, which look like <laughs> they were used for These pornographic purposes. But the books and just the creation, just the fairy lights, the yeah. low lights, if you have fictionstudios.com, if you haven't had a look, look at the studio, just Google it, Fiction Studios. It's exactly what I wanted. It's really interesting you say that because I was so keen when I set this place up to make it not feel like a, a regular kind of sterile studio and environment. I hope it's been sterilised, these kind of <laughs> <laughs> Let me just put that across there. I just wanted, you know, like you say with the books, you could pick a book up and get inspiration and it just makes that process easier. And I picked easier. the nearest book without looking, gone. okay? Yeah, Here we go, Dave, you've got to pick one as well. Yeah. Okay, we've all got one. Okay. Oh, go on, read your title. Mine? Yeah. It's by Osbert Sitwell. Oh, yeah. Terrific author and it's called... Laughter in the next room. Okay. I have got uh, Cooking with Wine by Nell Heaton. Excellent book. Yes. By Faber and Faber. Of course. Nathan, what have you got? I've got And We, The Shadows. Wow, yours is dark. Oh, That's Graham. why you're yeah. writing about gimps. That's why you have... <laughs> mine was Laughter in the next room. And mine was, look look at this, last taken out from the library, oh, got library in dates on them. 28th of March. 1945. This no, is 1949. Yeah. Oh, can, you, can you go any older than that, Dave? Mine doesn't seem to have library stamps. Oh, he stole that on one it. directly, I reckon. Uh, however, <laughs> I will give you the quick recipe for fish au bleu. Gone. Freshwater or sea fish, said to be cooked au bleu, is baked in a good stock to which either vinegar or wine has been added. Wine is infinitely preferable. Nice. So, That's on the menu tonight. Wine is infinitely preferable. It's <laughs> a terrific that, sentence. That, yes. <laughs> happy with the outcome of this studio? Very happy, yeah. So I was doing my own thing and then, you know, I thought it would be really nice to be able to quit the kind of side jobs that I was I was doing what side as an aside to my music. Oh, everything. Every, yeah. Typical so I worked in a, I worked I worked in a, a makeover studio. Uh, okay. It was basically a complete con where they would, oh, they would, yes, they would stand on the street in Covent Garden looking for young girls and say, "Oh, you're going to be the next big model. All you need, all you yeah. need is this portfolio." And then they'd bring them along. They say, "We're going to give you a free shoot." Now the photo shoot might have been free, but then they'd been stuck in this room with this bloke doing a hard sell afterwards for the photos in a portfolio, which were like three hundred quid a pop per photo. I've been to one of these very days it wasn't called double take studios oh, it, it might have been covent garden <gasps> yeah so it was uh oh it was years ago i was still at uni and um you were going to be the next big model no, <laughs> no uh so i went down i went down with my girlfriend at the time different story uh but yeah it was the sort of thing and and they they amp you up with this th mm. this idea of a free photo shoot and you go in and you have your makeup done and it's super yep. weird and you know all the sets and everything. Oh yes, look proper. It's the full it's the, legit. Yeah, yeah. And you know the the photographer's really charming, and you're like, oh, this is great. And you have a glass of wine and a sandwich and, and all the then, hot cons. And then you essentially get locked in a room. Exactly. While this, uh, we we had a we had a woman, not a mm. man, and she was like, oh, you know, we can do this, 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 and this for you, and it costs this much. Yeah. And the whole time I was like, it, no. on average for the full portfolio. It'd be a couple of grand. Yeah. And so my job would be, uh, most of them couldn't afford it. You know, they'd come away with one photo for like a couple of hundred quid. And my job would be, I'd call them up six months down the line and I'd be, uh, hi, you, you had a photo shoot with us, you know, a few months back. And they're like, yeah. 
And I, <laughs> oh, you and guys. I say, yeah, uh, you know, you paid hundred pounds for that photo. And she's like, yeah. And you know, if you wanted the full lot, yeah, there would have been two grand. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what do you want? And I'd be, well, uh, I can give you the whole lot today. You know, I've got to get rid of them. I've got, I've got to delete them from the system. We've got too many on the system. It's overclogging the system. I've got oh to delete God. them today. I've got my finger on the delete button. I, they've got to go. You can have them all for 40 quid. Scumbag. Absolute scumbag. A very easy sell. Scumbag. Yeah, I should say. What we had. Nathan Cooper, scumbag. Scumbag, yeah. <laughs> so we'd say, we said, oh, no thanks. And then they you, they bring out the payment plan. This is the other thing. The payment plan was scandalous. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, he did that for like a few years and was really wanted to kind of get out of that, basically. Surprising that, that it didn't give you, you know, <laughs> the career satisfaction, satisfaction. <laughs> the creativity that yeah. you wanted. That's well, I was doing my music on the side and stuff, but I... So had you transitioned to Kid Cassio at this stage? Yeah, I, I'd already kind of released some stuff and so where, was where did, enjoying doing that. Where was Kid Cassio born? Or do you want to tell us briefly So Kid that? Cassio was just something I wanted to do that, again, would be in that kind of 80s vibe, very much synth pop. Yeah, just decided to release some stuff under my own steam, did a sort of year of kind of gigging around London and stuff. Did you know some successful ones, some not so successful gigs, and yeah, it's kind of took on an, uh, taken on a bit of a life. You know, I've kind of got a little following on Facebook and on Instagram and stuff like that, and on Twitter, and I can just release the stuff when I want, and I make my own videos. That's been a big part of it as well, like kind of making these really cool videos and having complete control over what they look like and so with kid casio you are write the theme tune sing the exactly theme tune. and it's made me realize i'm actually a complete control freak because <laughs> i wouldn't have it and any other way back now to the gimp man yes. <laughs> yeah. some sort of weird 50 shades of nathan cooper vibe going on here it seems to be a fairly common theme to because obviously we talk to a lot of actors and writers and musicians mm. and creative people in this process because it's who we know but it seems to be a very common theme for everyone to be a bit happier is when they're in charge of their own output yeah totally i mean that's what was kind of got me down when we were signed because suddenly we'd gone from being this quite interesting underground gimp band (laughs) (laughs) to suddenly underground gimp band (laughs) to suddenly having to curtail you know to like 20 people at the record company who all had an input all had an idea about what we should be doing how we should be doing it suddenly we had like like i said wardrobe people coming in telling us what to wear i remember seeing the script for the video which we'd had absolutely zero say on you know and and just my heart kind of sinking just thinking like i had so many ideas about this video when i was writing this song i had it playing out in my head and it was nothing like this completely different vision yeah and even the album covers like you know, I get such a kick out of designing my own album covers now. It's such an important part for me, all the artwork and the stuff like that. And suddenly that's all kind of whipped away from you. And it just, yeah, I just think you've, it suddenly becomes someone else's, you know, a kind of shared. Did you ever do one of those fabled but desperately awkward record company sit-downs where you played them the latest records and you all and sort of was, sat there uh, well, in silence? Well, they put us with a series of really ill-judged kind of producers so they sent us out to like Norway to work with Franz Ferdinand's producer and Franz Ferdinand were nothing like we we were a synth pop act so that was really bizarre and that didn't work and then they put us in Peter Gabriel's studio which is this amazing studio out in like I think Somerset or something 
and they suddenly decided they didn't want any drum machine on the album. They said, "We want you. We've we've sent you here to record all the drums, li- live drums." Suddenly, so that was a waste <laughs> of thousands of pounds. Uh, and so all these kind of ill-judged, you know, ideas by people that you know had a great idea at the time. And yeah. So yeah. currently, Kid Casio is your creative project. Yeah, that's your creative obviously, outlet. Obviously, for example, yeah. So whenever I have a bit of spare time here at the studio, which uh, which isn't that often, I'll um work on some Kid Cassio stuff and it's actually got to the stage now after I've been here three years when I've got an album third album third Kid Cassio album ready to go now so amazing Kid Cassio you've not done nearly enough shameless plugging of Kid Cassio okay you've listened to every single podcast Nathan you've had a ringside seat (laughs) and you know that if there's something to plug then you goddamn plug that thing Kid Cassio with a K all the videos are on YouTube the website's kidcassio.co.uk kidcassio.com as well and uh, yeah, just check it out. If you like your 80s, 80s synth pop, pop, you're there. Amazing. So we've kind of come on to Fiction Studios. Yeah. Which is your home, the, the beating it is my home. heart of <laughs> London. <laughs> yeah. And the underground basement gimp music scene. <laughs> <laughs> so how did Fiction Studios come about? Because it's such a, a wonderful, iconic place. Mm. Yeah. I had a home studio. I'd done some work for a film that my brother was in called Tamara Drew. We'd written, me and a friend had written five songs for that. And we were asked to do the music for a film, Miss You Already, with Tony Collette and Drew Barrymore in it. And she wanted to sing one of, one of the songs in the film. And that would meant her coming to my studio and recording the vocals. Unfortunately, my studio was in my bedroom in <laughs> South East London, so I had... To be fair, mate, you could have told the world that you had Drew Barrymore in your bedroom. In my bedroom, and- yeah. Well, this was all lined up, and my brother said, we can't do this. You can't have Drew Barrymore and Tony Collette coming to your bedroom, you know. Just about save yourself from a point there by using their full name. <laughs> <laughs> Drew and Tony. Yeah, Drew, Drew and Tony are coming around later, D&T. Um, just going to hang out, it's all good. To my tiny little flat, and I just thought, He's right. This it would be so cool if we had like a central on. It just would be better. And he kind of said, "Why don't you? Why don't I help you set up somewhere? You know, a central London location. It'd just be so much better for you. You could just take it up an, a level, you mm. know." And we really just stumbled upon this place. He, his accountants used to be on the fifth floor, and they kind of look after a lot of bands and actors and uh, musician uh, models and stuff like that. And they kind of men- mentioned that you know they've they've got a storeroom downstairs and you know come come have a look and i've told this story a million times before but i really thought it would be like an accountant storeroom yeah you know boxes files of paperwork and stuff like that and to some extent half the room was and then the other half was you know i'll try and explain it to people listening but it is it's kind of like i mean people have described it as kind of like harry potter it's like the gryffindor cave. common room yeah exactly it's an old that's a of, good one yeah gryffindor yeah. common room yeah that's a that's the perfect kind of description and this was kind of i've added to it but it was kind of here as it is and i was like this is amazing what you know what on earth is this doing down here it's the last thing you'd expect and they said oh we'd set it up a few years ago we were going to film something down here it never happened don't worry we'll get rid of it all and I was like, no way, I love this. This is, And it suddenly all clicked in my mind. I, you know, I, I had a real vision for the place and, and I thought this would be a great writing space, you know, because it's got just that vibe straight away. Before I did anything, it had, it had the vibe. And then we put in all, the whole studio bit. The whole kind of unexpected part of it has been that it's gone from being what I originally set it up as, which was just a recording studio, 
to somewhere where not only people come and record and I produce and that kind of thing, to somewhere where people want to come and film stuff and TV companies come and do interviews. And, and podcasts. And podcasts, of course, <laughs> podcasts. which is the best. Well, it is. It's such a beautiful, creative, sort of iconic space yeah. already. And it looked great on camera. There's a nice host here. He's got a good mullet. The mullet is, yeah, it's getting there. What's the inspiration behind the mullet? Just one last just, throwback to the boy band days before yeah, you get married. I had a I had a mullet in about two thousand and one when do you remember David Beckham had um he had something called a hox a hoxton fintail, which was basically yeah, shaved a shaved all round and a fin sh- down the middle. A fin down the middle, but it went into a kind of a mullet at the back. I yeah. did not as if you know the name for it. Well, hoxton I was on the front page of my local paper sporting one. <laughs> and the headline was the headline was Beckham stole my hair and I had to stand there in front of my barbers like this <laughs> with Looking a pouty face faced. because again uh, the story was um, it must have been a slow news week this week in, in, in South <laughs> yeah, East London yeah. <laughs> but my friend called me and this was the same guy that went on to work at the Metro this was in his local uh, local news days and he said oh um, have you noticed that Beckham's got the same hairstyle as you and I said yeah and he, well how has that happened and I said, well, my hairdresser is, is Japanese. And he said, so's Beckham's. <laughs> and, he, and just because they were both Japanese, obviously they'd been talking to each other. <laughs> my hairdresser had told Beckham's about this new Hoxton Fintel that, that I had seen someone sporting in East, East London, you know, and thought, oh, that's a great hairstyle, I'm going to try that. My hairdresser had told Beckham's hairdresser, and he had cut back his hair the same. <laughs> so there was that no was a whole story. No foundation to this story. They just no. And oh, it, then it was wow. front page. And I, I spent the next two years of my life being chucked out of pubs, <laughs> things thrown at me from moving cars, being laughed at in my local post office, oh, in no. the bank. Why did you agree to it? I was just that that wanker. <laughs> Uh, All right, speaking I mean, it's a good of, summary of that. Yeah, I was, I was just that wanker. Is a good speaking of being it. that wanker, the pen's going down. There's no points on offer. You've done some pretty amazing things with some pretty amazing people. In Are we this talking studio. name drops? <laughs> so I'm fill your boots. Really bad Are we talking name drops? If you if you'd like to, maybe if Nathan. a couple of names drop out of. You know, if you yeah, want to be right. that wanker for a few minutes, no pen. Your hands are up. Hands are well, up. Well, like, if hands I just up. do it, I'm not doing it for my own benefit. I'm doing it for people that might like some of these bands or some of these acts and might want to use Fiction Studios in the yeah. future. Yeah, 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 yeah. And for your own benefit. So we've had, um, you might be able to help me out here, Stephen. You're a regular. Uh, user, sugar user. Babes. We've had Sugar Babes. We've had, we've had Snow Patrol. We've had that Professor McFly Green. Fellow, what's his face? McFly, who I hear Josh is a big fan of. I'm a big That's fan it. of, mate. Big fan. Um, it was um, Danny. Danny from McFly came and did his solo stuff here. Lovely bloke. Did you have Will Young? Or am I making I that did up? have Will Young. Yeah. Will Young. I'm trying to think. Soft you Cell. Told, yeah, you told Ed Sheeran get Cell. fucked. I remember that. <laughs> For your good self, because you for, were booked in. I was booked in. And yeah. I never cancel a booking, you hear that, Ed? I never cancel a booking. You hear that, Ed? Fiction Studios never cancels a booking. <laughs> Take that, Ed. <laughs> Shove it up your hole. You moron. <laughs> you absolute, you absolute <laughs> moron. Have you realised how much more talented Ed Sheeran is than <laughs> Not me? Not how much more money he's got That's as true. Well. Yeah. I don't know if Ed Sheeran would definitely... Uh, it, it would was he his bring company. you carrots? That's the thing. He wouldn't. It's the thing. And Stephen brings me carrots. I bring him this carrots. This is important. If you come to Fiction Studios, bring Nathan healthy food. 
food. Yeah. He's on a diet at the minute, mm. but prior to that, all he ever ate was bacon. bacon. <laughs> it's true. Bacon and Kit Kat. It's, it's been hard, but I've, I've kicked the bacon habit. Are you proud of what you've done here? I, I am, actually. I have a moment. I mean, like running any business, and anyone you've had in will tell you this about, you know, like kind of entrepreneurs and people who run their, running their own thing. You have moments of kind of like, oh, my God, this is completely failing. It's a complete disaster. I'm going to go have to work in a call center again, you know. And then you have weeks where everything's going really well. So it's just about, you know, riding through the kind of peaks and troughs, really. It picks up on a kind of monthly, you know, kind of basis. It's it's getting there and I'm building it up and I'm working it out as I go along. But, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of what we've, you know, I've, I've, I've built a kind of business and that's something I, I would never have imagined I would something I would ever be able to say that I could do you know so nice to know that I'm not the only self-employed person in this room who suffers with that existential <laughs> yeah, dread but you think that it's all going to disappear yeah. because I can look at this and I'm sure I speak for you as well Stephen I can look at this objectively not having my skin in the game if you like and think well of course this place is going to work it's wonderful yeah but it's 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 tricky because so many bands nowadays you know might not need a big studio in central london but and that and that's why i've been lucky that i have been able to branch out to podcasts filming. to filming yeah to interviews to voiceover stuff that was something i had to learn along the way i was very kind of adamant that when i started it this is going to the just, music just yeah. music you know i don't want to do anything else i'm just interested in music and actually, the other stuff I really enjoy as well. You know, it's it's a really nice kind of mm. nice to change it up a bit every day. And it's different every day, you know. Tying in with that, what do you enjoy most working it's, in the studio? At the well, it is, it, it, I get the most, the, the creative kick I get out of producing, but I'd, I'd find that hard. I've, I've come to realise I, I would find that draining every day. Because if I have a band in and I've got a, a kind of hand in, the kind of creative side of it. So, if, you know, recently I've had a lot of people come in with just mere scraps of ideas. You know, they haven't come in with a kind of almost finished demo that they just want me to mix or something. They've come in with a few lyrics scrawled on the back of a fag packet or something, or or they'll go, oh, oh this is my idea for a song. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? That That's it. Yeah. And, and, you know, so you really get a hands-on... And it might be a genre as well that I'm just not familiar with at all. It might be like, well, I want this to be Haunted House. And I've Googled it and that is a genre. What? Haunted House. Do you know that level on Mario Brothers? <laughs> yes, Mario yeah. Brothers with the ghosts. When you turn your back, they run after you. And if or you I turn want to this, them, they freeze. I want this to be Witch Step. <laughs> Witch Step. That's amazing. You know, so it'd be something that I'm not familiar with at all. And it's really helped me open my boundaries and it's helped me when i go back to my songwriting kind of take on board different kind of ideas and different ways of writing i have an interesting question for you there if someone comes in with like that an abstract concept for a song mm. and essentially you might end up doing 70 percent of the yeah. work in creating that song how does that work from a creative and an ownership point of view yeah, we'd have to come to some kind yeah. of agreement. Yeah, how, I'm, I'm curious as to yeah. how that works. Is that something you, just you would to... say to somebody beforehand? Because, you know, if someone comes in and says, yeah. I would like to write this song, and you come in, and, and in fact, you end up doing yeah, a lot of the creative of side of things. And then they go, okay, thank you very much for helping me <laughs> yeah. with my song. <laughs> no, and then they go and release that are... song, and that song becomes a massive normally people are pretty. It? Normally people are pretty cool, actually. 
you kind of sit down with them. I wouldn't do it straight away. I'd wait till the process is kind of almost in full swing or done even. And how much of it is a case where you're producing what they want to hear yeah. or you're well, inputting? Well, the, the, at the end of the day, and the, this is something you can forget when you become creatively involved in something, they're actually paying for studio time and it is the project's in their name. So at the end of the day, they have to go away as a happy customer of fiction studios. And there has been times when I've been really creatively involved in something and they've turned around and gone, actually, I don't like the style. You know, this needs to completely come take away. Take out all the synth. Yeah, take out all the synth. <laughs> I've had that a lot. I'm famous for trying to creep synth into things. Creep I had a, I had a metal yeah. ba- I had a metal band in and uh, they asked me to do the final mix and I said, and I thought to myself, and they weren't here for the mix, I thought to myself, you know what this needs in the chorus? It needs, <laughs> <laughs> it needs some synths there. It needs more cowbell. And I tucked thing. it in. I tucked it in like some synths, big synth strings, like really lifted the chorus. And I thought, I don't think they're going to notice, but they did. Uh, they were like, you know what? We love the mix. We love what you've done, but we're sure we can hear some like synths or something in the last <laughs> chorus. You're there like, nope, there's no, there's no They're synth like, in that. just get That's rid of that? Natural. Yeah. That's all natural. Yeah. So what's the dream for Fiction Studios? Um, I mean, the dream would be like a kind of a hit factory, for want of a better word, in the kind of Motown, Stock Aitken and Waterman, you know, vibe of where young talent comes in or they're sent in by the record company. We've got this guy, he's got great abs. He owls his abs really his well. Abs are but you know what? He can't write a fucking song for Toffee. Yeah. Got a good voice, but he can't fucking write. So they send him in here. I let him write a couple of lyrics, but on the whole, I'll write a great song for him. And he goes away happy and that's released by the record company. And that, that, that churning that out would be the dream. You know, I'm a massive fan of going back to um, when I was talking about the Backstreet Boys and their writer, a guy called Max Martin, who's practically, I think we've chatted about him mm. before, you know, the biggest songwriter in pop. And he's still at the top of the game 20 years down the line. And he writes for Britney and he wrote, wrote for Katy Perry and everyone. And he's just a, this really behind the scenes, just a brilliant, brilliant pop writer. And I, th- that would be the dream one day. But until then, I'm happy for, I, I, I love to just produce all different styles of music, have all different bands in here, live sessions, videos, everything. You know, I get a kick out of all of it. Isn't it amazing how not only you, you've you changed, but you're self-aware enough to realise as well that you were that youngster who was just fame-hungry and you wanted to grab yeah. that by any means necessary. But now you've, you've just told us that your dream is the complete antithesis yeah, of yeah. that. You're still ambitious. You still want the success but you're not really bothered if anyone knows. I'd rather uh, uh, the other way, actually. I'd the anonymity. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think you've you just... grown up, Nathan, right before our very eyes. <laughs> I'm a real boy. <laughs> oh, right, that was weird. That's back to the gimp, Nathan. That was that was full-on gimpiness, that was. I don't know where we, uh, where we go from that. Oh, dear. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Yeah. I have really, really thoroughly enjoyed this. Yeah, it's so much getting fun. to know a whole because obviously we don't have. We were discussing the nature of podcasts earlier, and when's the last time you sat down and just chatted to someone for forty-five minutes yeah. an hour without checking your phone or with an ul- ulterior motive yep. or without it being a business lunch or a business meeting or stuff? And I have thoroughly enjoyed getting yeah. to know the man behind the mullet. I've loved being here, Mister Nathan M J Abs Boiled <laughs> Abs. Put a gimp mask on me, baby. <laughs> Can we get more synth in that, Cooper? 
Thank you. Fictionstudios.com. Fictionstudios. Fiction.